Joshua chapter number 6 is where the text from which my assignment comes this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15, and I'm going to read a few chunks from different chapters in Joshua, and hopefully it's going to all make sense as we go through this. But at the beginning, it's going to seem a little disjointed because I'm going to leave out some of the details that kind of make the story flow, but just follow along, and I, and I know that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get something good today. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 15 says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, saying, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that's in it are to be, notice the word here, devoted to the Lord. Some versions say, accursed to the Lord. And it's kind of weird that it would say a curse, but here's what I need you to get is that anytime something is devoted to God and it's not kept, it's not separated to God, what we do, we put ourselves in harm's way. That's why it's called a curse. And so it says, the city and all that is in it will be devoted to the Lord, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. And notice, and must go into his treasury. Jump down to Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Some scriptures say, sinned in the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, took some of the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and he told them, go up and spy out the region. So when the men went up and spied out Ai, um, to go up, they, they, they said to Joshua, do not take the whole army with you. Send only two or three thousand men to take it, to take it, and do not weary the rest of the army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening, and the elders of Israel did the same thing and sprinkled dust on their heads. So they lost this battle to Ai. But then by the time we get to Joshua chapter 8, verse number 24, look at what it says. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had, put, had been put to the sword, all of Israel returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city as the Lord had instructed them. So the next time around, they fight the same battle against the same foe, but this time they get better results. Have you ever fought the same thing time and time and time again in your life? Can I see your hand? Fought the same thing over and over again and got the same depressing, demoralizing, despondent, hopeless type of results. I want to teach you today that God can give you the same battle, but this time with better results. And there's just one thing that makes all the difference in the world. And that's our subject for today. Same battle, better results. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real to each and every one of us? We give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus name. And everybody said, 
You may be seated. As we come to the text, we find Israel having conquered the first city in the promised land. Everybody say first. Jericho was not the second city, third city, tenth city. It was the first city in the promised land. This was a city that God had given Israel in a miraculous way. And you might remember how God gave them a strategy. And he said, when you get to the city of Jericho, for six days, I want you to walk around the city one time each day. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do something particularly interesting. He says, I don't want you to walk around the city one time, but specifically, he says, I want you to circle it seven times. Circle it, 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 circle it. I think that's seven times, right? He said, I want you to circle the city seven times. I'm not just trying to uh, be funny by saying that. I'm saying that for a reason. And when when they circle it seven times, on the seventh time, they give this shout, and God miraculously intervenes and gives them a victory that they couldn't otherwise have attained themselves. Is that anybody else's testimony that when God has intervened into your life, you've gotten some victories that you could not have gotten all by yourself? Anybody have that as a testimony? You shouldn't have won that battle, but God intervened. You shouldn't have defeated that disease, but God intervened. You shouldn't have beat up on them bills, but God intervened. You shouldn't have won that marriage. Uh, But God intervened. You should have made it through that divorce. But God intervened. That's our testimony because God loves to intervene in our life. And so when we come to this city of Jericho, this first city, we find out some very interesting truths about us being not first but us being second. That's really our subject even though our title is same battle, better results. Our subject is God needs to be first We need to be second in life. And so when we come to this um, text, we find out, number one, God expects to be first in our life. All throughout the scripture, we find this, this, this preoccupation that God has with being number one. We find it as early as the book of Genesis and as late as the book of Revelation. In other words, this is something that is true from cover to cover in the Bible. And so, for instance, in Genesis chapter number four, verse number three, the Bible says, in the course of time... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, if you just stop there, it seems like Cain and God are tight, like Cain is is worshiping the Lord in a good way. He brought God some fruits, so it's an offering. Hey, God, I just wanted to worship you. Here's an offering. But it says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, notice the phrase, firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so here is Cain, and he's like, God, I got, I got this, this offering of fruits for you. Here you go, God. I want you to know how much I love you. And then, and then uh, Abel comes along, and Abel says, God, I've got a, a special offering for you. It's a first fruits offering. Here you go. And here's what the scripture says. He received Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And the question is, well, why would God not receive Cain's offering? Because Cain gave God just some fruits. In other words, he looked at it, he said, ah, that one's too good to give to God. That one's too good to give to God. That one's too good to give. That one's got a little dent in it. I think I'll put that aside for God. That one's a little, you know, raggedy. I'll put that aside for He gave God whatever he felt like giving God. 
But Abel said, this is the best one of the flock. This is the firstborn of the flock. This is the special one. And so I'm going to give God this very best offering. And when he did that, God received Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. Why? Because God expects to be first in our lives. If we go to the book of Revelation, we find God introducing himself at the beginning of the book. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 11, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Notice God just seems to have this preoccupation with this position of being number one in our lives from Genesis to Revelation, but then everywhere in between. For instance, Exodus chapter 13, verse 2 says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both men and beast, it is mine. Here's what God is saying. He's not saying if it's free, it's for me. God's saying is it first, it's mine. If it's first, don't touch it. If it's first, don't think it can be used for whatever you want it to be used for. If it's first, it belongs to me. It is mine. Then over in Exodus chapter number 20, verse number 3, the Bible says, You shall have no other gods before me. And as Christians, we think, well, this is easy because, you know, we worship Jesus Christ. And we don't worship Buddha or Muhammad or Hare Krishna or any of those other gods. We worship Jesus. And so we we don't have any problem with this verse. But how many of you know other things in life can be God's? How many of you know a relationship can be a God? An addiction can be a God? A love of money can be a God? Being a workaholic can be a God? Anything that gets on the throne in position number one in your life is something that you and I would worship above God. And God is saying, listen, I don't want anything before me. I want to be first. Proverbs chapter 3 verse number 9 says, honor the Lord with your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. Notice again, God doesn't want seconds. God wants first. And then over in 1 Kings chapter number 17, we find this interesting story, and I'm just going to touch on it. And this interesting story about how Elijah is sent to this widow woman who is going through a famine, and she's down to her last bit of food. She doesn't have any more. It's only She's going to make one last meal, and then she and her child are going to die. And God doesn't want her to die, and so God sends Elijah, his prophet, over to her on behalf of himself. And Elijah shows up, and he says, can I get something to eat? And she says, listen, I'd love to give you something to eat, but I've just got a little bit of bisquick left. I was going to make one flapjack for my son and one flapjack for me. I wish I could give you some pancakes, but I can't, I, I don't have any. And, and here's what Elijah said. Look at it with me. First Kings chapter number 17, verse number 13. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. You can make your own pancake breakfast, but make me a small cake first. He says, and bring it to me, and afterward, some for yourself and your son. Here's what she said. She said, I don't have any. Elijah said, you got some. And here's what God said. God said, I want a small part of whatever you have. Notice, make me a small cake first. I don't want all of what you have, but I do want a portion of what you have. And the portion that you give me, here's what God has said, has to be the first portion. Why? Because I don't want to be second in your life. I don't want to be third in your life. I don't want to be tenth in your life. I want to hold position number one in your life. And so as we come back to our text, Jericho is what? The first city. And so because it's the first city in the promised land, what does God say? God is saying, I want this city. And he does it in two ways. The first thing he does is he tells them for six days, circle the city. On the seventh day, circle it, 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 circle it. That's seven or is that eight? That was eight? One for good measure. He said, keep circling it. 
Why? Have you ever circled the date on the calendar? Anybody ever do that? You know, I need some help from the old folks. From, from nowadays, they don't have calendars, you know. They look on their phone like this here, and they put a little ding or a reminder or a notification or stuff like that. But that's another way of just circling a date. But back in the day when we didn't have cell phones that had calendars on it, we would hang that calendar on the wall. And what would we do? We would circle the birthdays. We would circle the anniversaries. We would circle all that. And women would do it. So that they could mark it as a special day. Men would do it so they wouldn't forget, right? I mean, let's just be real. But here's the point is we were circling that to set that date apart. There was something special about that day. And so as they come to the promised land, the first city is Jericho. And so what is God doing? Because God could have given them the city if they just walked up to it and shouted without circling it, right? God, they could have just walked up on that first day, gave a big shout. God brought the city down. Done. But God says, circle it, circle it, circle it, circle it. Why? Because God wants them to know this city is set apart. This city is special unto us. And because it's special, verse 17 of our opening text, chapter 6, the city, Joshua said, is a city that is to be devoted to the Lord, set apart in a special way, picked as a, as, as a significant um, representation of the fact that we love God above all things, devoted to the Lord. So keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. In other words, don't use any of the stuff that you see in the city for yourself. Don't, 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 don't wear it. Don't, don't drive it to work. Uh, don't eat it. Don't sleep in it. Don't use it on any of your own needs because if you do, you will make yourself liable. You will open yourself up to hurt in life. You will open yourself up to attacks in life. How many of you know the Bible says give the devil no place in your life? How many of you know that's what the Bible says? If the Bible says that, then we can do that. We can give the enemy opportunity to gain the advantage of us. And that's a sad thing because how many of you know that the enemy is under our feet? How many of you know that Jesus said we have authority over the enemy? And it's a sad thing when those of us that are stronger than the enemy give the enemy an advantage in our life by opening up a door. And one of the ways that we do that is by not keeping God first. God said, I want that whole first city. Don't touch it. Now, why does God want to be first? Number two on your outline, by putting God first, we honor God. Think about Israel for a moment and everything that God has done for Israel. Israel's heart is constantly straying from God. They are constantly rebelling against God. They're constantly sinning against God. They would forget about God. They would worship other gods. They would live a wheels-off lifestyle. And even when they strayed, God would still reach out to them. But when they strayed, they would find themselves enslaved. One of the greatest enslavements that we know of is when they were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And during that 400 years, God loved them anyway. He didn't forget about them. He always redeemed them. He always, he always spoke to them. But by the time we come to our text, they are out of their 400 years of slavery. They are 400 years of backbreaking labor, 400 years of being mistreated, 400 years of being whipped and beaten, 400 years of watching their firstborn throw into the crocodile infested Nile river in order to curtail the population so that the Hebrews wouldn't grow to a place of preeminence. I could preach that as it relates to what's happening in our country with abortion. 
I could preach that, but I'm not going to preach that because that's not my subject. But here, they're seeing all of this happening. And God brings them out. God delivers them mightily as they walk through the Red Sea on dry, dry ground. God drowns their enemies, right? And then on the heels of this mighty deliverance, they decide before they get to the promised land to begin to turn their back on God while they're in the middle of the desert, while they're in the middle of the wilderness. It was a 14-day trek to get to the promised land. Turned into 40 years because once again they turned their back on God. But even in their wanderings, God gave them water from a rock. Even in their wanderings, God gave them manna from heaven. Even in their wanderings, God made sure that the soles of their shoes didn't wear out. And so God was even with them during their wanderings. And then there's this great big coming back to God again, and they're finally on the doorstep of the promised land. And God raises up Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And God has done for them what they don't deserve, what they're not worthy of. And as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, God through Joshua gives one instruction. He says, here's what I need you to do so that your heart won't stray from me. Because Israel had this, had this, this thing that every time life was good, they strayed. And every time life was bad, they stayed. Let me say it again, because God's not talking about you right now. Anytime life was good, they strayed. But anytime life was bad, they stayed. When they needed God, they came to God. God, we need your help. And God, we shouldn't have gone our own way. And God, we shouldn't have worshipped, you know, other gods. And we're sorry. And we need you to come back. And God would come back. But every time life was going good, they'd be like, yeah, party. Let's, let's worship the golden calf, you know. Let's all dance around this golden calf without clothes on. That's what they did. They did kind of wheels off crazy stuff. When stuff was going good, they strayed. When stuff was bad, when stuff was going good, they stayed. When stuff was going bad, they stayed. And so God said, here's, here's one thing I need you to do so that your heart won't stray from me. So that when you get into that promised land and you start enjoying life as I've intended for you, a life of blessing, a life not being enslaved, a life of victory. He said, I don't want you to get to the place where you start to stray again because you think it's because of how great you are that you've got all these blessings. So here's what I need you to do. That first city, I want you to devote it to me, set it apart to me. And here's the reason why. Because it's how you honor me. It's how you remember everything that I've done for you. It's how you remember that I took you out of slavery. It's how you remember that I brought you through the Red Sea. It's how you remember that I'm the one that took you through the wilderness. That I'm the one that gave you manna from that rock. That I'm the one that gave uh, water from that rock and manna from heaven. You remember me. You honor me. For us, you know what it is? When we put God first, you know what we're saying to God? We're saying to God, thank you because you know what? I should be going to hell right now. Thank you for saving me from my sin. Thank you for pulling me out of that addiction. Thank you for helping me through my wanderings in life. Thank you that I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you for everything that Jesus did. Thank you for your grace. When we put God first, saying, God, we honor you. We remember everything that you have done. And this is us as Christians, as Christians We're not first. God is first. God is first in our families. He's first in our decision-making. He's first on our jobs. He's first in our character. He's first in our integrity. He's first in our finances. He's first in our time. God is supposed to be first. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Second is not an option for God. God doesn't ever want to be second. To God, second place is first place loser. That's what it is to God. I mean, for us, it's cool. Got the silver medal, you know, cool. But for God, it's like, no, you don't understand. That's just not an option. As Christians, this whole thing for God is about honoring 
honoring, honoring God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9 again says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. Notice, and with the first fruits of all your increase. With God, this first is a matter of honor. First is a position of honor. And here's what happens, though. Israel has got this simple command. I mean, think about the trade-off here. God is saying, after everything I've done for you, and everything that I'm going to do for you, I'm going to give you this promised land, this land that flows with milk and honey, this land of tremendous blessings where there's houses that you didn't build, and there's gold and silver and all these wonderful things. I'm going to give you all this, he says, and the trade-off is for all that I've done for you and all that I'm going to give you, I just want a small portion, not all, but a small portion, the first portion of the promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal for us. Well, that's a good deal for us. Like if I came to you today and I was just like, listen, you know, I want to give you a hundred grand. I want to just give you a hundred grand right now. Just stop. I'm feeling like, but here's the deal. After I give you the hundred grand, I need you to cut me a check back for 10 grand. Anybody signing up for that deal? Right? So here's God, right? God is going like this. God's going here. I've done all this for you. I'm going to give you this promised land and I need you to just set apart this first city, Jericho, for me. And you know what Israel's like? They're like, nah, not a good deal. I, I, I know God, it's been a long time since I've had my own stuff. God, it's been a, been a long time since I've ate whatever I wanted to. And so when I go in there, God, I can't, I can't think about you first. I go in there, I see something that I have. I see some chocolate, man. I got to have me. So I haven't had chocolate back in Egypt for a long time. I got to go have me. God, if I see something nice that I want to put on, I got to put it on. God, I've been wearing these slave clothes for all these years. I got I to tell you. understand now, God, right? And we're all thinking, how stupid could you be? After everything that God has done. And so what happens is Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1, the Israelites are unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. One verse to say they sinned in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Israel decided that giving God the first portion was too much after everything God had done and after everything that God was going to do. And and Achan, one person, which is interesting, Achan took and Israel sinned. Did you notice that? Achan, one person took, Israel was credited with the sin. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But here's what happens. Number three on your outline. When God is not first, we lose battles, we should win. When God is not first, we lose battles that we should win. And so Israel is now getting ready to go into the second city. Somebody took of the devoted city. Somebody took of the first city. His name was Achan. And if you read the whole story, Achan took some things and he put them in his tent. Nobody knew about it. And so they go out to fight against the second city. And they think that God's strength and God's power is with them. But notice chapter 7, verse number 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is near Beth Haven to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army is going to have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. And do not weary the rest of the army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by Ai, who killed about 36 of them. Here they are, and they defeat Jericho 
which was this big, giant, you know, outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered city compared to them with this big wall. And, and they got that victory. But they go to Ai, which is this little podunk city. You all know what podunk means? Podunk means it's like it's like the Cowboys going in and losing to the Giants. It's podunk, you know. It, it's, it's, there's no way it should happen. I mean, AI didn't have a big wall around it. AI's wall was kind of like the Giants' offensive line. Anybody could get through. You know, it was just... It, and they go. And they go against them. And they, they don't get defeated. They get routed. Why? What happened? God wasn't first. And when God is not first... We lose battles that we should win in life. And let me make this real. So Joshua goes before the Lord and he says, God, what's going on here? Matter of fact, verse number six, Joshua chapter seven, verse number six. Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there until evening. And the elders of Israel did the same thing and they sprinkled dust on their heads. In other words, Joshua started praying and he said, God, tell me why. God, you said Every place that the sole of our foot shall tread upon shall be ours. God, you said that we'll be blessed going in and blessed coming out. God, you said that you'll give us our, our, our enemies. And God, you said, and God, we didn't, we didn't win. Why? Let me make it real to you. God told us we'd be the head and not the tail. God told us we'd be blessed coming and blessed going. God told us that every place, every, every, everything that we put our hand to shall prosper. God told us that he would protect us from our enemies. God told us that our whole house should be saved. God told us that no weapon formed against us would prosper. But sometimes all of that doesn't pan out. Why, God? God... I, I don't get it. But why, why isn't what you said happening? And so the Lord speaks, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua's praying and 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 praying because the way you fix stuff is you pray and 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 that's the way you fix stuff. You just pray and pray and pray and pray. And the more you pray, the more you fix and you pray and pray and pray. Isn't that right? Watch this. Joshua chapter 7 verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Here's what he said. Stop praying. But, but pastor, the way you fix up is you, you pray and 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 you pray. And the more you pray, the more you fix it. God said, stop praying. Stand up. He said, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. What is God saying? Listen to me carefully. No amount of prayer can fix disobedience. The only way you could fix disobedience is to obey. In other words, here, here's what I mean by that. Sure, if you pray, your heart will get more sensitive to the Lord. But there are people who are intent on still being disobedient and think that prayer is going to fix it. Here's what God is saying. If that's the way you're rolling, if that's the way you're going at this thing, nothing is going to change. Here's what you need to do is eventually get to the place where you stop praying about changing and you actually do the change that you know God is asking you to make because when you obey is when things will get fixed in your life. Obey. And so Joshua is like, I got it, Lord. I got it. And uh, he said, now I know what happened. The reason why we lost this battle that we should have won is because you were not honored as first. 
What I think is real interesting is that God tells him a strategy for how to find out, and he, he finds out that it's Achan, right? And, and it says, Achan took, but Israel sinned. Achan took, but Israel sinned. Achan's family was affected. They all died. Israel was affected. They lost a battle, and 36 people in the army lost their life. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes we think that the only person that is affected by God not being first in our lives is us. Can I tell you that your family is affected when God is not first in your life? Can I tell you that your family cannot be everything that God want, God has intended it to be when God is not first in your life? Your marriage can't be as good as God wanted it to be. Your kids can't prosper the way that God wants them to. When God is not first, it affects not just you. It affects everybody. But then check this out. Not only does it affect your family when God is not first, but it affects your faith community when God is not first. The faith community is a community where we are all partners together. We are all doing this thing together. We are all part of God's army, and there's different rank in God's army. There's generals, and there's, there's captains, and there's lieutenants, and there's soldiers, but everybody is nevertheless part of God's army. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, everybody's part is important to play. There's no part that's better than the other part. The foot cannot say to the hand, because you're not a hand, I don't need you. We need our feet. We need our hands. We need everybody's participation in order to fulfill the mandate that God has given as a corporate body and what happens in the church is churches are limited in what they are able to do not because of anything other than the people of God don't put God first y'all said you don't like them easy messages so here you go I'm coming for you today coming right to your seat I'm knocking right on the door of your heart today we want to know God where's the revival God, why don't we see the miracles? God is saying, I I don't get it. I can't move forward unless you put me first. It's only a limited amount of victory that I can give you by not being in position number one. And so finally he gets it. Joshua gets it. And he gets up and he goes, all right, God, I got to take care of this. Before we can go and fight this battle again, I got to take care of this. And so Joshua chapter 7, verse number 19, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon. I was walking in the mall, and a display in the window of H&M was looking fly. And man, choo, I just, I just could not help myself. I had to go there. I know I didn't have the $100, but I made a way for me to get. I just spent that. I put that nice little jacket on right there. I came to church. I said, Pastor, I'd like to give today, but I can't afford to. Woo, I'm preaching good today, ain't I? said, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. And he said, I saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing about 50 shekels. And I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. In verse 25, there's a sad verse. said that all Israel stoned him. You know what I'm grateful for? 
If you never thought you had anything to be grateful for, be grateful you don't live underneath the old covenant. Be, be, be grateful. You know why? Because while you were rolling up on that window at H&M and you, you reached for that nice Babylonian robe and, and you knew you were doing it despite putting God first, you know what would happen? You poof, a rock would just hit you out, out of nowhere. I start throwing down on that car payment that you couldn't afford to the expense of putting God first in your life. As you're driving, you just, you just drive another rock. It's just, where'd that rock come from right there? Thank God we don't live underneath the Old Testament. Thank God we live underneath a covenant of grace where God covers us for our disobedience because of what Jesus did. And he covers us to a measure. That doesn't mean there's not consequences. And so I looked at this and I said, Lord, what's the takeaway here? Because I know you're not going to stone us for not putting you first because I'd be dead. Because me like you have been in situations in my life where I have not put God first. We're all in situations like that. But here I am, not only standing, but preaching. Here's what God said. There's an application here. I might not stone you, but listen to me. When you continually lose battles that you should win, it's an alarm. It's an alarm that goes off. And the alarm is, you better check your priority order. And if you realize that God's not number one, something in you needs to die. You don't need to die, but something in you needs to die. Maybe you need to put to death selfishness, and maybe you need to put to death love of money, and maybe you need to put to death jealousy, and maybe you need to put to death envy, and maybe you need to put to death being a workaholic. But somebody, something in you, when we keep losing battles that we ought to be winning, it's an alarm clock that's going off, and God is saying, something's got to go. Something's got to die. Something in you has got to become less, and I've got to become more. We've got to switch the order of this thing. We've got to take you from the top rung of the ladder of your life, and move you down just a few pegs so that I can get back up on top because when I'm back up on top number four on your outline you're going to win battles that you should lose when God is first you win battles that you should lose when God is not first you lose battles that you should win check this out Joshua chapter 8 verse number 1 now the Lord said to Joshua don't be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. Notice that when the spies went out, they were like, oh, we could just take a little bit. Don't take everybody, just a few thousand. We can let everybody sleep in. You know, listen to me. When you're fighting a war, and by the way, did you all know you're in a spiritual war? This life is this life, life is the war zone. This life is not the end all and be all. It's the pass through. It's the war that we fight to get the ultimate victory, which is to live eternally with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. This, this life is the pass through. It's not the objective. And so in this life, why would you only fight with half of your weapons when God has given us so many weapons? I'll tell you what, take out everything you got when you're in a war and use it against the enemy. When the enemy shows his ugly head, take out prayer and take out putting God first and take out your Bible and take out your praise and take out your fellowship and take out everything that God has given you and go to war because when you go to war with everything God has given you, then you win. So God said, don't, don't take just a little bit. Take everything. And he says, see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil. Watch this. I love this. Ai is the second city. It's not the first city. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Anybody need some booty? 
Seriously, y'all? I mean, come on, man. I'm talking about booty as defined in the, in the Bible. Y'all are crazy. That's what he said. He said, he said, everything in that second city, he said, you could take it for yourself. Here's what I love about God. If we will honor him by putting him first, God said, everything that comes after the first, you could just freely enjoy that stuff. And notice what happens. And he says, lay an ambush in the city. And what it's telling them is this. Now you are ready to fight the same battle but get different results. Because when God is first in your life, you will win battles that you are supposed to lose. He's saying, remember Jericho? I'm going to do to AI for you exactly what I did to Jericho. Joshua, you realize you weren't supposed to win in Jericho. Joshua, you realize that if it was just you and the children of Israel who hadn't been in a war, didn't have a trained military, none of that kind of stuff, do you realize if it was just you against them, you would lose? Do you realize that you were outmanned, that you were outgunned, that you were outmilitarized, that you were out everything? But the only reason why you won that battle is because I stepped in to fight for you. And the reason why I stepped in to fight for you in Jericho is because at that particular moment I was first in your life. But the reason why it was you against AI and we just need to understand something without God on our side we're nothing without God on our side without God in our corner we can't win in anything in life and he's saying the reason why you lost the battle you should have won is because I stepped back you made yourself liable but now he said it's no longer a battle you should win why because AI beat you once AI is now cocky no, I played a lot of sports. I coached a lot of sports. When you have the chance to step on the neck of another team, you got to step on the neck. Don't give Eli the ball back with a minute five left in the game. Don't, don't do it because then he looks like a good quarterback. The rest of the time he's terrible, but, but then they'll give it to him. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't give him a little bit. I step on the neck. And he said, now AI, now AI is cocky. AI is like, come on, Israel. Come on, bring it on, Cletus. Bring it on, Cletus. You're going to walk over here, but you're going to limp back. Bring it on, Cletus. Come on. Some of you have no idea why that's funny. It's funny. Trust me. I don't care what you all say. They're cocky. They're not supposed to win this battle now. How many of you know when something defeats you in life once, there's doubt in your mind whether you could rise up and beat it again? How many of you know if it beats you a second time, now you really just like, uh, if it beats you and 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 beats you, after a while, it's a fight that you don't think you can win anymore. But here's what God is saying to Israel. God is saying you're ready to go and fight the same battle this time, get better results. And, and, and uh, Joshua is asking, well, what's the difference? And God is saying the difference is the first factor. The first factor is that when God is number one in your life, guess what he does? God fights for you. So there's no battle that you can't win. And so he says, now you can go and you can fight that. I believe that there's somebody here today you need to declare to the devil you're ready for a rematch. And the reason why you're ready for a rematch is because you have decided to put God first in your life. And when God is first in your life there is no disease, there is no sickness, there is no poverty, there is no divorce, there is no situation that you can't take out. You will win every battle that you are supposed to lose when God is first in your life. And they go in there And they rout AI because God was first. When God is first, you win battles you're supposed to lose. But number five, and lastly, I would be remiss if I didn't just kind of put a little bow on this and, and speak to 
the one issue that is hanging over the message but has not yet been specifically identified in the message. We put God first by our tithe. Watch how quiet it's going to get in here now. Let me say it this way. Our tithe is our Jericho. Our tithe is our Jericho. What was Jericho? It was was the first portion of increase that God brought and gave to Israel when they walked into the promised land. What is a tithe? It's the first tenth of all of the increase that God brings into our life. What does that mean? It means wherever the increase comes from, our paycheck, we give God the first tenth. A gift, we give God the first tenth. Social security check, we give God the first tenth. Inheritance, we give God the first check. Mega millions, we give God the first check. Come on, somebody. That better not be a small check, neither. The first tenth. And what's the reason for the first tenth? Well, I'm going to read a scripture that everybody reads, but I'm going to read it to you, but I want to give you some context so you can understand it, then I'll be done. When we come to the book of Malachi, which is the transitional book between the Old and New Covenant, I think it's interesting that it's right there because there's a lot of people that, that just to, so they don't have to put God first, that's, that's Old Testament, Pastor. It's Old Testament. So Israel has once again strayed from God. They've went back to worship after everything God did. Went back to worshiping false gods. And so God hasn't spoken to them for 400 years by the time we come to the book of Malachi. I thought when I heard about that, that God didn't speak for 400 years I, to, to Israel, the one that he loved. I thought for a minute that God must have been a female. <laughs> just play. Don't, don't, don't just play. This is just a joke. And so they come and God, but God loves them so much. That God can't can't keep the silence going forever. Matthew chapter 3 verse number 7. God says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you said, in what way shall we return? God is saying, listen, you've strayed so far from me. And here's what Israel goes. God, I thought we were good. What do you mean return to you? Because during this time when they were worshiping other gods, you know what they were actually doing? They were bringing offerings to the Lord. So like, God, I thought we were good. Because how many of you know you can come to church and God's still not first? You can give God some offerings, God's still not first. You know, you can profess to be a Christian, God's still not first. And so they were giving off that, God, I thought we were good. In what way shall we return? Notice what God says, verse number 8, Malachi chapter 3. He says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? And you say, in what way have we robbed you? And notice what God says, in tithes and offerings. Here's what he's saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, this is not a money issue. Don't misunderstand. Tithes are not a money issue. It is money, but it's not a money issue. They were robbing God, listen to me, of the honor that God deserved. How were they doing that? They were coming to God and they were giving God all broke, busted down, leftover offerings. And so if you back up in the, in the, in the, in the book, for instance, the chapter 1, verse number 7, God says, a son honors his father. A servant is master. If I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where is the reverence? God is saying, listen, the issue here with the kind of offerings you're giving me is not that you're not giving me an offering. It's that you're not giving me a first offering. You're not giving me a best offering. And the reason why you're not giving me a first offering and a best offering is you've lost your honor for me. Watch this. Verse number 8 of chapter number 1. He says, when you offer... The blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? 
When you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept that favorably? He says, well, here's what they were doing. They would look out in their flocks, and they would go, oh, that's a good one right there. I get a lot of money for that one. Put that one right over here. That one there, oh, that's another good one. Not as good that one, but still another good one. That's pretty good. I'm going to use that one right here. And then they would go over, and they would see this, this, this lamb, and the lamb would be like, And they say, I know I can't get no money for that. I'll bring that to church. I'll bring that to church. I'll give that to God. What they were doing is they weren't giving God their first and their best. What they were doing is they were giving God all their leftover scraps. And here's what God said. Notice what he said. He said, where is my honor after everything that I've done for you? After where I brought you from, after the life that I have planned for you, here's what I want. I don't want it all, but I want a small portion. But the small portion better be significant. The small portion has got to be the first. It's got to be the best. It's called the tithe. This one-tenth, God says. Now watch this. Going back to Malachi chapter number 8, verse number 9. And he said, because you have not given me your first and best. Watch. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now let me make this easier on you, not that, because I want you to hear it. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. Right? Like some pastors will try to manipulate the tar out of you, you know? Be like, if you don't tithe, you're going to go to hell. Listen, if you never tithe, if you never give God one red nickel, you're going to go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Now, I don't know that it's possible to believe in Jesus and never give God anything because the Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there will a heart be also. But, This is not, the only way you get to go to heaven is when you put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what opens up the pearly gates of heaven for you. And that's why God welcomes you in. And that's why God covers you. And you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what God is saying. He's not saying you're cursed and that you'll go to hell. But here's what he is saying. If I'm not first, you're going to lose some battles that you ought to win. And so what's the solution? Watch this. Verse number 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Remember where they put the spoil from Jericho and the treasury of the Lord. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now herewith. That's your solution. Your solution is not to pray. Listen to me. You can pray over your finances all you want. Uh Uh-oh. You can pray over your finances all you want. If you refuse to put God first, you're going to struggle. Now watch this. If you tithe and put God first, you might struggle still for a season. I thought, I thought, Pastor, that, if I, that, that it would work out. See, here's what happens is the tithe will release the windows of heaven, will open up the windows of heaven for you. It'll make it better for you, but it may not make it better for you right away, and it may not fix everything in your life because maybe you're a tither, but you're not a hard worker. Christianity is Jenga puzzle. It all fits together like this. Christianity, it's not a, it's not a buffet, Christianity. Y'all, y'all know y'all think Christianity is a buffet, right? Yeah, yeah. I like this right here. I'll do that. I don't like this right here. Nah, I like this right here. All right, I got that. I don't like this right here. Over here, oh, got some steak. I like that. Over here, got some, some bacon wrapped, uh, whatever it is, some chocolate dipped bacon. Were you at Fall Fest? Got the chocolate. I like that right there. But I don't like nothing. I don't like them greens. Ah, nah. That's not Christianity. 
Christianity's not a buffet. We don't get to pick what we like and, and just, we got, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's everything. All in, chips in the middle of the table. God, I'm totally dependent. I'm totally relying on you. God, I'm relying on you and my family. I'm relying on you and my finances. I'm relying on you and my job. I'm totally dependent upon you. God said the fix is to put me first. And watch this. He says, see if I'll not open unto you the windows of heaven. Pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So that he will not destroy your fruit or the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear its fruit for you in the field. Says the Lord of hosts and all the nations of the earth will call you blessed. For you will be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. Notice, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Did you, did you know that if you and I go toe-to-toe with the enemy of our soul, the devil, okay, we lose every time. Did you know that you and I in our own strength, we're no match for the enemy of our soul? Here's what Jesus says. He knows that. Jesus said, I know you're no match. I know that when you go up against the devil, you're not supposed to win those battles because you and of your own strength, you can't whoop them. But here's what he said. But if you put me first, he says, here's what I'll do. When you're toe-to-toe and you're face-to-face with the enemy and you're coming to the end of it, you realize it looks like it's going the same way. When I'm first in your life, here's what I'll do. I'll just put my hand on your shoulder. I'll reach down over the sapphire sill of heaven. I'll put my hand on your shoulder. I'll say, step back, son. I got this one for you. And you'll begin to win the battles that you're supposed to lose. Why? Because God is first in your life. And when God is first, that's what begins to happen. God turns the tide. It may not turn immediately. It may not turn right away, but eventually it will tie, turn because God is honored in your life. And this is a clarion call for what it means to be a Christian. We could try to pull the wool over your eyes and tell you, you know, that just give your life to Jesus, say a prayer, and that's all Christianity is all about. It's not. That's the step in. Now you got to wade through the waters. Selflessness. Putting God first. Other things that we're going to look at in this week, this, this series. But here's what I want to encourage you as your pastor. I want to encourage every person who considers Faith Church to be their home church to put God first. You know why? It affects us. It affects what we can do for God. And the sad thing about the church universally, did you know that the church universally is made up of 2.7 tithers? 2.7% tithers, the church universally. That's a sad commentary on the heart of the church. And then the church be like, God, we don't understand why there's not revival. God, we don't understand why the miracles are. God's like, where's my honor? Where's my honor? So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. This church is much better, by the way. This church, y'all ought to be proud of yourselves. This church is generous. This church has got people, most, a lot of people putting God first. And so praise the Lord for every single one of you. But here's what happens when not everybody puts God first. There's a few people we walk in hurt. We're carrying a, a large load. It's more than we should be carrying because we try to make up for everybody who's not putting God, God first. 
Here's what I want us to do over this next decade. I want us to revolutionize our communities, man. I want them to see Jesus through us like never before. Let's put God first in everything we do. Let's put God first in the way that we share the gospel. Let's put God first with our time and the way that we serve. Let's put God first in our finance. Let's see what God will do. Let's see what battles we were never supposed to win that we will win because God is first in our lives. Would you stand to your feet?